Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Mile Marker 108, our season nine season finale. I'm t- I'm Gumby. Hi, you're Teresa. I almost said I'm Teresa. I'm Teresa. Yeah, you're Teresa. Oh, you know what I just realized? Isn't 108 like a kind of a sacred number or something? I don't know. Why is this a sacred number? Uh, I think I remember something from like yoga stuff. <laughs> well, what do you remember from yoga stuff? Like you do 108 of something, it's supposed to be meaningful. But anyway, 108. Yeah. Well, that sounds arbitrary. I'd like to know why. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How has your week been, Teresa? How are oh, you feeling? I'm feeling slightly under the weather. And I don't know exactly where that phrase came from, but I'll tell you, uh, the weather has changed here. In fact... It felt so good at first. What do you mean at first? Like since we came back from the mountains this autumn? Yeah, because it was fairly hot. It's still been pretty dry. In fact, it was supposed to rain today, and it that chance just kind of evaporated. But the um, the weather came in, like this cold front came in, and it felt like a fever broke, and it was like super windy that day, and... Then all of a sudden, I don't know, I just started feeling like kind of run down and under the weather. I don't think it's COVID. I think I just need to like get some rest and keep warm. I think it might be COVID. You say that, but I don't think so. Yeah, we've actually like, we listened to a few podcasts and these uh, podcasts, actually two people recently, well, actually one of them is indeterminate. They were just sick for a while. (laughs) But of course, anybody that gets sick nowadays, it's like, it's probably COVID. But one of them uh, said they had COVID. And, uh, yeah, it seems to be going around. And it's not, you know, I don't think there's, like, some people say there's no such thing as COVID. I think it's probably just another virus, you know. And I think for most (laughs) of us, just like the flu virus, you know, certainly it's a dangerous thing. It's something not to make light of for certain people if you're in uh, sensitive groups. So Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say, like, oh, COVID, whatever. For some people, it's extremely dangerous. For other people, it's another virus. Yeah. But an interesting thing that uh, people have talked about is when they have it, at least in these podcasts we're listening to, two different podcasts, two totally different people said it felt man-made. I found that very interesting. Hmm. So I'm kind of thinking either we've already had it and have antibodies and uh, I take heart in that, or we're probably going to get it. And I'd be amazed if we haven't had it already. And um, (laughs) personally... My kind of philosophy on that hasn't changed, that uh, I would rather trust my body than whatever is being sold to me, because historically, the things that get sold to me, um, 
tend to be bad for me, tend to be bad for the earth, tend to just be bad. Well, here in Durham, uh, the libraries require you to answer like 14 questions about your health and your pooping habits and stuff. And then they take your temperature on your wrist and I've passed every single time. So I think I'm good. I think that means I'm healthy. Yeah. They start taking rectal thermometers (laughs) and I'm going in the library, baby. (laughs) Not really. I got that done to me one time. My mom still denies she ever did that to me and it was traumatic. I think it set my uh, path as a heterosexual for life. Um, well, the first thing that I wanted to talk about as far as how our week's going is rock bottom. Now, rock bottom, when we go to visit my mom and her boyfriend, Red, um, we go to this place out in Bahama in North Carolina, and there's this land right beside theirs that uh, they kind of use sort of like their own because it's actually city property, but... Uh, <laughs> Nobody really pays attention out there, so as long as you don't make a huge stink, you know, nobody's going to, like, their attention's not going to go there. Um, So we go there, and we get to camp out there, and it's kind of like the side yard. We have sort of, like, a little buffer of trees. It's one of the nicer places we go in all of our um, ramblings, usually, because of the privacy. The grass gets mowed. It's kind of got, like, a park-like atmosphere because of the mowed grass. It's surrounded by this field that's slowly growing taller and taller, so you're, you've got the privacy of all these tall pines. And um, I'm near the only family I've got, which is my mom, so that's kind of, a, you know, a, an extra bonus that I get to, you know, it's, what am I trying to say? It's got more of a feeling of roots, I guess, is what mm. I'm trying to say. Um, and I called it rock bottom because when my mom first started dating this guy, he was a raging crackhead. He was thieving stuff. He would like get arrested and go to jail. Um, she was living out of her car. It was like your typical white trash, like let's watch Jerry Springer kind of (laughs) situation. Um, and I hated the guy. I fucking hated this bastard. And uh, I ended up calling his land Rock Bottom because he would call it my bottom. That's my bottom. I live down in the bottom, um, which is kind of a term that apparently the, like the locals use down here for a place that's sort of, I guess, low, you know, near the creek. The bottom land. Near the creek. Um, the bottom. And since he was smoking so much rock and because he was kind of like down at the bottom of the level of like human existence at that time, <laughs> oh. I called it Rock Bottom. Now, I say all this with a caveat that uh, he actually went to prison for a while, and a short while, you know, an amount of months, not years, and uh, really turned his life around. Like, he helps out older people. He, uh, As far as I know, I see no signs of him smoking rock. Uh, he tries to give up stuff, and by rock, I mean crack cocaine, if that's not a term that's, like, widely known. But I still have held on to the name, so... I still call it rock bottom, you know, when I talk to Teresa, I'm like, you want to head to rock bottom tonight? And she knows where I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Teresa, anything you want to say about rock bottom? Um, Gumby, you paint such a beautiful picture of it. And I certainly do love going out there because it does feel like you can just relax, even though it's like we're technically not even supposed to be there for some reason, it's easier to forget that out there because nobody's messing with you. Yeah, even the free campsites in the mountains were often near like a gravel road that people will drive past. And park rangers will come and like kind of harass you sometimes. Well, or check on you. I mean, yeah, harassment, checking on you. That's kind of a fine line. Depending on their sex. 
But this is like the one place <laughs> I can think of that we are like out of visibility from the road. I mean, we've got the most confidence here. We can go there and not be fucked with. Yeah. Don't you agree with that? Yeah, that's really special. Yeah. And it's surrounded by like garbage and there's a lot of flies there. But other than that, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is beautiful. And and I say that um, like just shaking my head because it is such an amazing feeling place. It's just, it happens to also have like a bunch of garbage around like garbage, like machinery, like old refrigerators and other such, uh, um, environment destroying things. Yeah. My mom found her soulmate in this guy. (laughs) And oddly, they were both born as twins. Both of their twin counterparts died at birth and they found each other. And they're both like, kind of you might say hoarders like they they don't really clean up stuff and my mom's an indoor hoarder so she totally wrecks the inside of the trailer and red is an outdoor hoarder so he (laughs) totally wrecks the outside of the trailer so it looks like sanford and son out there but uh we're off in the side yard so there's a couple little piles of questionable stuff around us but we're kind of on the periphery of it we're mo- we're closer to like the pine trees <laughs> and broom sedge oh, yeah. and blackberry bushes and, and stuff like that and we get to like have our, our fire out there it's... big dark sky no street lights we hear coyotes at night the mm-hmm. rabbits like come visit you know it's we hear the deer snorting at us i mean it's a pretty special place it's it's special to be able to especially as a hobo to find a place to find that measure of peace um, Hell yeah. And another reason I go out there is my mom has had a really hard couple of years. And uh, as far as I know, she hasn't gotten COVID, but um, she's had heart attacks. One, right? She had a stroke. A heart attack and then a stroke. Um, and yeah, she's she's struggling. You know, I didn't, ex- I, I really didn't expect her to still be alive after all the stuff she's gone through. She's been in the hospital more than she's been out over the last couple of years. And in the middle of this pandemic, I couldn't visit her. I mean, it's been tough. And, uh, now she's kind of hobbling around. Like, I'm so glad I've got that interview. If you don't know anything about my mom, we've actually got an interview with her that she would not be capable of doing right now. Yeah. And I'm really glad that I got that interview. It is a uh, rebel without a cause interview, Nancy. <laughs> um, and yeah, she, you know, she, now she's had a stroke. She slurs her words. She has trouble like organizing her thoughts and it's really changed our whole relationship, especially my relationship with my mom. Cause there were so many battles I had to fight with her, you know, like, or I felt like I had to fight with her. And it was always a struggle of like, you are, my mom is like, I don't know. I've been telling her for years, you're treating life like a waiting room for death. There's got to be some, I see you care about stuff. Like if you don't take a chance, if you don't do it and she just has social anxiety, she's hidden from the world. She doesn't like contact anybody. And so it's kind of been this, like, it's hard to uh, relate to my mom because it's kind of been like watching a plane crash. In slow motion. In slow motion. Mm-hmm. Like everybody can see it coming. Everybody can see that you've got a parachute. You could do something to try to survive this, to change it. And it's just inevitable. You're just following it through. And so my mom, you know, she's at that point in her life that for the first time in my life, there's no point in fighting with her. All the arguments are done. I just, uh, 
What did she say to you the other day? She was like, you might have been right about, you might have been right about what? Oh, yeah, that's another part of it. My mom, now that she's like um, struggling with all, the, with all this stuff, like we bring her out to visit with us when we're out there and uh, we wheel her out in a very wheelchair. carefully put her in a wheelchair and bring the wheelchair out there. Sometimes she like brings her a little uh, walker with wheels and, you know, she fell over the other day on the on doing that. But she's also full of regret, just psychologically, like, um, you know, when we showed up for the first time out of the mountains, um, you know, my mom was just telling me, you're right about all this stuff. And I just, you know, it was <laughs> it was painful to hear because it's like I was only telling her stuff that I thought she could change. Like, you know, like you got to fix this or it's going to lead here. And, um, now, yeah, there's no, I mean, there's no argument. There's no like stuff about it. So it's just kind of trying to give her company, trying to provide what help we can. And, uh, so we've got an added incentive to be at rock bottom before now it's been a place that kind of was like, they were extending to us. And now it kind of feels like, wow, we're, maybe this is like, we've got something to extend to them, particularly my mom. Mm -hmm. Just, visiting Teresa brushed your hair the other day and <laughs> I brushed your mom's hair. Yeah. I never brushed my hair. <laughs> I braided it. But yeah. So anything you want to add to that before I move on? Yeah, I just I couldn't believe it when you were saying like we really need to do this interview. Like we really, really need to do this interview for that's yours. Um for my mom. And I was like, what's the big rush? But okay, I'll do it. And sure enough, Gumby called it. So I am glad too that uh I got to know Nancy, before um, before she's like gone a little further downhill um, physically, and I will say, I, I wanted to bring this up anyway. Um, both Red and and Gumby's mom Nancy, I understand them so much better when I'm high. Mm-hmm. Has anybody else ever experienced that? Like you have somebody in your life, it kind of sounds like Boom Hour from King of the Hill um, cartoon, and you're just like, wow. Um, I don't know what you're saying, but it seems important. So I'll just agree. But then when I smoke weed, I'm like, oh, I get everything that's going on. Now that's more red, right? That's Sounding like boom. Hour. Yeah. Boom hour is red. Your mom has these conversations that I think are about five minutes behind the conversation that we're in. Yeah. I, I comprehend my mom <laughs> better when I'm high. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I can, I, I hear the words. She's not, well, she sort of slurs, but. I can understand what she's saying, but I can't figure out where she's going with it. But when I'm high, I'm like, oh, yeah, this totally is a really, like, legitimate insight into something. It was just from a conversation we already had, like, a while ago. (laughs) But it's deep, you know. This is actually the first uh, elder I've ever spent time around that is coming to the end of her time. This is a new experience for me, and one of the things I'm thinking of is, like, Man, what a valuable reality check it is to be around like people of different ages, to have like to be around kids, which we'll talk about later. But that kind of reminds you of the beginning of the path. Like, I don't know, there's so many lessons in just that contact. When I feel it, it's like, man, we're supposed to be around kids. When you get older, you're supposed to be around kids, have some contact with them. And I'm I'm realizing the same thing right now about elders through my mom. And kind of her boyfriend too. He's uh, doing a little better than her, but he's wearing down too. 
And it's just like, you know, to remind yourself that's where you're heading when you get there. Have you done what you wanted to do when you could? Escape society. Yeah, and considering things like what she's struggling with, you know, and is that like reevaluating? Should we be like getting a health care plan and getting a, more, a life that by our culture standards is more secure? I mean, I, I, I let myself think about this stuff, even though I'm not comfortable with these thoughts. And uh, yeah, it's a really powerful thing to reevaluate. Right mm-hmm. now, I, I feel like all I can do is lead the best life I can and try to enjoy it. And uh, when I get there, I mean... I think everybody, when they get there, it kind of sucks. Getting old sucks. Dying is scary. I, I can't say dying sucks. <laughs> I'd like to think it's going to be, like, actually pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. But who can say until they get there? And, you know, I realized I had a lot to say about Rock Bottom. But w- another thing I like about Rock Bottom is it's one of the places around Durham that we can have a fire. One of the rare places to have a campfire, not just a hobo stove. And that's so awesome. Remember the other morning, Teresa, when we were like woke up and the fire like and we've seen this before, but I don't know if the morning wind comes in because the sun's coming up. But every now and then you'll have a fire and you'll bank the coals and you'll have some wood on top of it. And it'll just be like smoldering, glowing, sometimes not even smoking much. And then that morning when the sun comes up and you're ready to get up and you need a warm fire. Boom. It just burned like burst into fire. It's like somebody flipped a switch and turned it on. It's fucking incredible. <laughs> I love that. But, the, you know, being able to be around a fire is such a special thing. And that's one of the things I value about Rock Bottom when we're in Durham. Because we get that in the mountains in several places, but it's pretty rare down here. And it's winter, so you really can appreciate a fire. Mm-hmm. Well, it's um, almost winter. Almost winter, yeah. The colder months, mm-hmm. which is why we're down here and which is why we go to the mountains. Screw those hotter months. Yeah. Um. And screw it not raining for forever. Yeah, I was going to get to that. Yeah, I just, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but it is, um, it is startling, the lack of water around here. And Gumby just saw an article that said something about dry, <laughs> dry Durham. I and, was like, oh man, they're going to talk about whatever the hell's wrong with the weather. And the drought. No, they're talking about like making Durham County where we're at a dry county, like alcohol wise. Not And let me tell you, that shit is not (laughs) going to take. Anybody who's trying to draw that line in Durham is fucking stupid. They haven't even gotten rid of crack. They think they're shutting down alcohol in Durham. Man, that would be like the best thing to happen to the black market in decades. (laughs) There'd be so many motherfuckers bringing in alcohol. I'd be one of them. Yeah. I'd totally be a bootlegger. Yeah. Um... What else did you have well, about Rock the front Bottom? porch? I really like that we got a place to set up the front porch, you know, with our tarp and our, our poles and everything. But um, yeah, one of the things about Rock Bottom and it being so dry lately is we had a creek and we talked about that creek. We'd go to it and wash our dishes and bathe our bodies, wash our clothes, you know, all the wonderful things a uh, body of water can do. And we've said in former podcasts, if you're living out of your van or doing the hobo thing, Find water, man. Water has got so many gifts. It's good to be around water. It's a deal changer. Everything's dry. Everything in Durham is dry. That creek is dried up. It's like the stinky mud puddle. If you get in it, if you can find enough water to get in, it just smells like somebody just took a shit in your (laughs) bathtub. I mean, it's it really is bad. (laughs) But so all the rotting leaves and other things that are probably dead and washing and shit. 
Those things okay. that are dead and washing are taking yeah, shits. That's true. So now we got to walk. How far would you say it is, or how long? How much? How much of an amount of time? Um, I think it's probably about a thirty or forty minute walk, and maybe about I don't know, somewhere around two miles. Yeah. So we. Well, I got a mouthful of food. You want to tell them what we do for that walk? <laughs> well. It has occurred to us that um, if we want to stay longer at rock bottom, we have to go fetch our water, like Jack and Jill. <laughs> so, and there is a hill. Yeah, so there is a lake that's, uh, I mean, it's a fairly close walk just through the woods, but if you take the road, like I said, it's around two miles. And uh, Gumby said, well, we could go to this park where we're at right now which is right at the lake, and we could fill up all our water bottles and carry them back. I think that might have been my idea. And you said, like, we could bathe there. And I said, yeah, well, we can try. And he, you said that we could go in the lake. <laughs> and um, the lake is generally uh, one of the healthiest, cleanest waters in the area. But um, this time of drought, it is condensed into a fart puddle. <laughs> and it was a pretty walk it was a nice day so we like packed up all of our empty water bottle containers and walked down to this lake in this park that we're currently recording at and the first thing we did is wash our dog sherlock so we brought some shampoo down you know we're in this park and gave him a bath and this chick shows up and she's like throwing out her cardboard and she's well, wait. like can i pet your dog wait <laughs> we're not giving him a bath in the lake we're giving no. him a From the water fountain. (laughs) (laughs) We're like filling up plastic, big plastic bottles from like juice um, that we carry around with us. And like I'm dumping it on Sherlock. I've got gloves ready and put this like antifungal shampoo on him. And then Gumby has to sit there for 10 minutes. And that's when this chick shows up. And we're basically in the park by ourselves except for this chick. And we're clearly washing our dog. Yeah. And it was cool because she was used in the park as like her personal dump because she was throwing away like cardboard <laughs> and stuff in the dumpster by the, the building here. And we were using the park as our personal like dog bathing station. <laughs> so we kind of had like a, a truce going. Like I got so, – I, I won't tell if you don't tell. <laughs> and we got done with that and then went down to the lake. And I'm doing quotey fingers here that you can't see. Mm. But Lake Mickey is usually a pretty decent size, small lake. I mean, like, it's nice. It's got, like, good water to get into. Well, it's been so dry that we just walked along this big swath of muddy shore that was just solid enough to hold us up so we didn't sink into the mud. Oh, my God. Which is really cool, by the way, because all the tracks and stuff. Yeah, and it felt so good on your feet. It was, like, just the right amount of soft, spongy mud. But it wasn't sticky or, like, slick. It was hardened, like uh, modeling clay. Yeah, yeah. And there were some kind of little tracks that looked like little anuses. Remember those? (laughs) There were, like, little holes that got filled in and then had little scratch marks and wrinkles all around them. (laughs) (laughs) Little pucker marks. I'm going to call those turtle egg nests, but I don't really know. (laughs) But they certainly looked like little mud anuses to me. (laughs) We walked a little ways down to find some privacy and finally got in this water And as soon as we get in the damn water, every footstep was like stepping into a fart. It would just send up (laughs) bubbles, and they stunk. And so we're trying to bathe, 
and the water's like warmed with fart whatever <laughs> fart temperature and the every place we stepped is just sending up bubbles like we're in a cauldron it's it is. like it's it like was, those little mud anuses are underneath us just letting <laughs> it was like buying land in hell like <laughs> so we called it the fart puddle and that was that was a pretty nasty part of being at rock bottom last week bathing in the fart puddle because oh, you get man. out and you, you smell like a fart you smell like bo going in and you come out smelling like a lake fart well i just i just washed my upper body and hair um in another water fountain because there is an actual like a wedding happening in this building behind us and uh and then I'm just like walking around basically like I just got out of the shower mm-hmm. <laughs> which is normal but that was after I washed my face in the creek behind this park and that's when I afterwards I discovered that there was a dead crayfish in that water yeah so there you go so we really need some water. And the reason why we gave Sherlock a bath, by the way, I usually didn't, but he's had a bad rash lately. Um, I don't know what it is. I think he's got, we suspect he's got some kind of fungal infection and we've tried different stuff. And when Sherlock was younger, he's always had sensitive skin. I took him to the vet a few times when he was younger and the vet would do stuff like, oh, well, um, let's try this ointment and you know, let's see how it works. And it was a really friendly, like, oh, we're in this together. Let's just, I will keep at this until your dog gets well. Hmm. But of course they're charging me hundreds of dollars for every experiment. The vet cheerfully, uh, for my benefit, <laughs> ends up going through and, uh, I just got disillusioned with it. So I've been struggling with Sherlock's skin stuff for his whole life, but I'd say he's a pretty happy dog in spite of the skin. You can tell he's uncomfortable sometimes, but yeah, and we had previously used um, jewel weed, which we have a video on our YouTube channel of, uh, like boiled down into uh, a nice concentrated liquid of the of the medicine that's in jewel weed, and we had like sponged that on uh, Sherlock's skin for weeks, and after it cooled down, obviously, and uh, and had used what that jewel weed and vinegar maybe at different times a day, and just trying to like take care of it naturally or more naturally. And then I used that shampoo and it like came back with a vengeance. Oh, it was so angry. It was bright red. It was like a traffic light. Mm. He was laying in the sun on his back and we could see his armpits and around his crotch, which is where like we see it the most. Um, I'm hoping that that means it's working, but poor guy. And I don't know if it's just because he's a dog, like animals tend to be tougher than people and like relating to stuff like that, but... He wears it well. I mean, sometimes he'll like, man, if my armpits look like that and my crotch look like that, I wouldn't be doing shit. And he's like bringing me over a stick like he wants to play like, oh, you know, it's fine. <laughs> Glowing armpits, that's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that I had on my list, and uh, jump in there, Teresa, if you have something that you want to talk about, I skip over our week, but uh, is the skills that we've been working on. Yeah. So you got anything you want to say about that? Well, I, I eat this cracker. I have been helping Gumby to collect two items. And one is clearly I was born. I, I exist to collect dried rabbit poop. It's true. <laughs> I, I've seen Teresa take to like a duck to water to a few things. And this is one of those things like she is a rabbit poop picker upper. And I enjoy it so much. I this is the first time in my life I think oh, I under wait Teresa? wait you have Teresa? a mouthful of stuff. Hey, Teresa, yeah, 
I'm remembering everybody's not a hobo, so maybe we can tell them why you were picking up rabbit shit. Oh. <laughs> well, I was helping Gumby with a skill of him making natural glue from pine sap and rabbit poop. I thought it was clear to everyone. Yeah, I mean, it just occurred to me, like, maybe people are wondering, what the <laughs> fuck is she picking up rabbit shit for? It's so satisfying. And... I could only imagine that this is the feeling people get when they do stuff that they enjoy. I just didn't realize that this was the thing that I enjoyed. Uh, I gotta in life. say, it was pretty fucking enjoyable. I said I, I like needed a cigarette or something after picking up this rabbit. If shit. you've never collected dried rabbit poop, it kind of looks like Kicks cereal, like a, a corn puff. It really does. It's beautiful. And you use that because it is basically ground, dried up plant material, which is what you're adding to the pine sap so that it's like... All right. We're telling a Quentin Tarantino story here. We got to back up. I'm going to do a flashback okay. and fill in. Um, so I'm making nail knives, and I'm only finding little three-inch knives, which are about as small nails. as you want to go. Nails. Nails. You're right. And I'm trying to learn how to put them in the fire and heat them up and pound them out into a blade and then sharpen them and make little nail knives. That's one of the survival skills I'm trying to learn this week. And part of that, once you've gotten it flat out and sharpened and you got the blade, is to make a little handle for it. So I got some hardwood. I'd put a nail and, like, superheat it and uh, get it glowing red in the fire and then slowly burn in a hole um, with another nail. And that would be about the right size for my nail knife, and I'd stick that in there. But now I need glue. Hmm. So that's why we're making glue. And the main ingredient in glue is pine pitch, which we've been finding at, like, another park. And... It's kind of cool because, like, we've that park is such a big resource. It's the only place we can get a decent bath right now because it's got a dam there. Um, it's got indoor bathrooms that are heated in the winter. It's got water fountains that work. It's got um, it's private got outlets that we can charge our devices without being right up under somebody's ass. <laughs> it's uh, got everything. It really does have almost everything. And now we realize it's also the fucking gold mine of Pine Pitch. Because <laughs> they're putting in this, like, all this crap. These apartments are apparently moving in, which really sucks for many, many reasons. But one of the hobo benefits at this moment, being an opportunist, is this construction equipment is rubbed up against a lot of pine trees and left wounds, which are making them bleed sap, which is exactly my main ingredient that I need for glue. Bam! The other thing you need for glue is crushed up charcoal from the fire. And or some people use crushed up charcoal and this third thing, or they just substitute the crushed up charcoal for this third thing. And the third thing is rabbit shit. Or which takes um, us to the beginning of what we were talking omnivore, about. Omnivore, or no, herbivore shit. Herbivore shit, you're right. It could be deer, it could be horse, it could be cow, but on our road, and this is another like weird thing. When you start needing something, it's amazing how you like will f can sometimes find something that is the gold mine of that. For some reason, that a mostly abandoned road that we're at when we go to Rock Bottom is the most rabbit shit I've ever seen on a road. It's a dead-end cul-de-sac, and it's yeah. just full of rabbit shit. It looks like a, a kick cereal truck exploded. <laughs> and the only other people that live on that part of the road are probably wondering what in the hell these like barefoot hillbillies are doing picking up what could only be considered shit to other people. Oh, it was shit. I can confirm that. <laughs> but it's not gross. No, it's not. Just rabbit scat. Like, yeah. 
Now, how how would you describe? What do you mean by not gross? Before I launch into one of my, it's dry. It's it's just a dry puff, and because it just comes from rabbit butts, I just feel like it's it's probably okay. Yeah, a rabbit. I can't remember the name, but it shits, and it's like a gelatinous shit. It eats it again, and then it shits. So it's been through the rabbit twice, and that's how they digest the stuff they eat, the plant material. That's so, also how Gumby digests his food that he's eating right now. That was not appropriate. <laughs> so these M&Ms of shit, and that's what they look like. That's how I can tell rabbit shit from deer shit or anything related to a deer. It also applies to moose and elk. But the ungulates, the moose, elk, deer, depending on where you live, look more like jelly beans. They're oval, like eggs. The rabbits look like kind of flattened, fat pancakes, like M&Ms. So... Yeah, we collect all that, and it's to make glue. And Teresa? <laughs> Not only is there a wedding, but the um, the truck that cleans out the porta john toilets is here, so it's about to get to be a shitstorm, y'all. Hopefully not. Hopefully it'll stay quiet. <laughs> so, yeah, we're making that glue. Um, anything else you want to say about the glue? Oh, I'm just... Uh, I am enamored with pine sap and how it smells, and we even tasted some, and that was pretty special. And we got to chew some, like, gum. Yeah, and we're, when we're collecting this rabbit shit, and uh, <laughs> Teresa was having all these reflections. I guess we both were. Like, collecting rabbit scat is a really quiet, meditative, deeply satisfying um, reflective time. Yeah. And you want to share about anything that you... Uh, any of the rabbit poop reflections? Well, okay. This goes back to why you had to explain to people. Go ahead and share. I got to pee. Mm-hmm. Why you had to explain to people about my collecting rabbit shit. And the thing is, who was the first person making glue that was like, uh, I wonder what, like, I wonder if I can just use this rabbit poop to make glue. I mean, Maybe it wasn't rabbit poop, but you know what I'm saying? Somebody's like thinking about collecting shit and how curious of an animal of a species that humans are that we collect so many different things and use them in so many different ways. Oh, and, uh, wow, there's just a lot, there's just a lot of stuff happening. Help me out. (laughs) Get back here. So I feel like we're the only ones that Did probably you get high and lose the yeah. chain of your <laughs> I, I feel can see like it in your face. I feel like we're the only ones that truly celebrate our season finales. Like I've got a plate of smoked gouda with bacon, cheese, and apple and tomato that Gumby cut up, and we're like smoking weed during the <laughs> podcast. Like this is a party. We got a wedding behind us. We That's gotta... just the weed talk, and I'm trying to talk about some stuff here. Okay. Um. Well, welcome back. (laughs) And back to the skills. One of the skills that, like, I've been working on that's, like, really a cool thing is the grabbers. Now, Teresa, you've seen how handy the grabbers are, right? Yes, I have. What what do they grab? It's a hard thing to describe. I think we might try to make a video, but it's basically one stick that's been split about halfway down, and you tie it off so the split doesn't go any further, and then you take another stick and thin it down kind of in the middle part and slide it in the the split that you made in the other stick. So you've got something that works kind of like, what's that tool in the garden center that works kind of like that? 
Um, like cutters. Yeah. Or I was thinking like the garden trimmers. The salad tongs that people use to serve salad that they yeah. look kind of like scissors, but or they have scissors. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got that same kind of mechanism, that effect. But you can use it to pick up all kinds of stuff, pots in the fire, um, firewood to move it exactly where you want it to kind of restack it up as you're burning it. And you can separate it if you just need like a little poker. So you can just slide that thing out of the notch and you got like one stick that works as a poker shoving wood around. I mean, it's the perfect wood stool. You can also use it as a weapon if you're a ninja. If you're a ninja, yeah. I demonstrated to Reese and scared the shit out of her one night. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, look at what you can do with this. If somebody attacked you, like, wah! Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't do that. Yeah, and then I almost lost we... grip of one of the handles and I was like, you're right. You <laughs> called it, man. This, this is, is actually the... dangerous. This is the most dangerous game since we played Pippi Booby, which was about... What was that movie about? Pippi Longstockings? It was about the woman who wrote Pippi Longstockings, whose life was remarkably similar to Pippi, her character. And there was a scene in there. We're just like innocently watching the movie like, wow, this is interesting. <laughs> and it's kind of like one of those like, I don't know, English feeling movies from the 80s, like, you it know, kind of like, sophisticated. It feels like you're not going to you're not about to see a boob. Yeah. And then this girl, like how old was she? Like 15? Yeah, she just and then she, like, seduces her boss, who's this, like, old dude that's, like, got a couple kids. And she just whips out her boobie, and we're like, whoa, we did not expect to see Pippi booby. This should have come with a warning. I was not prepared for that. And so we started doing this stupid-ass thing where, like, we'll just, like, whip at our fist and get it, like, really quick right in front of the other person's face and say, Pippi booby! It's kind of like, whoa, that thing just got whipped out of nowhere. But it's a dangerous game because sooner or later somebody's going to punch somebody in the face. Yeah, especially. If it's me, I'm going to jail. Yeah. I've already accepted that these are the stakes <laughs> of this game. It is a dangerous game. I don't recommend it. Yep. It's so true. Um, God, I don't even remember what the hell we're talking about. Skills. So. You're talking about the skills. You actually have a list. Yeah. Your grabbers, you finished talking about your grabbers? Yeah, I think I celebrated too much for the benefit of a list right now, but I'll give it a shot. So that's the glue. I think I I said everything I wanted to talk about glue. But one of the things that, like, when we were picking up rabbit poop that uh, occurred to me was one of the reasons why it was so satisfying is because on the one hand, you're picking up rabbit poop. It's about the most pointless fucking activity you could do. And yet, in picking up the rabbit poop, oh yeah, I was getting tuned into like the habits of the rabbits, like how rabbit old the habits. poop was. The rabbit, the, yeah, the rabbits habits. Yep. Don't confuse me. Yeah. And so I'm picking this up, and I'm like realizing I'm learning really cool stuff about tracking where the rabbits go, what their cycles are. Um, I'll start relating that to weather and a season if I did that long enough. In itself, the seemingly pointless lesson was really deep because if i needed to catch rabbits for food or whatever you catch rabbits for pooping yeah i would have (laughs) observations that would arm me for that oh my god if i had my own rabbit and i could just pick up their poop all the time (gasps) happiness people do that yeah you could get a rabbit Hmm. but (laughs) it would be hard to keep in a van that's true with a dog yeah and now you derailed me. You better have something to, like, replace that thought I, I used to have that you just made me drop. Deep thoughts when it came to finding the rabbit poop because the lesson was it wasn't just collecting rabbit poop. It was, like, tracking and just really um, 
double up on the skills. Like you can do something, but also learn another skill while you're doing it. Exactly. Yeah. The ecology, I mean, the lessons were deep and I really valued that kind of Zen feeling of that, you know, the balance between like pointless and deeply, uh, purposeful. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was saying while you were um, taking a piss over there, who was the first person that was like collecting rabbit poop and was like, I got a perfect use for this or who was making glue and was like, I feel like I need something that's like kind of crumbly vegetation. That's dry. Oh, rabbit poop or deer poop or whatever. Yeah, I wonder that about a lot of things. Like, of course, the famous thing is like the first person who ate an egg. Like, like ooh, just... that came out of the ass of a, a chicken. Like, mmm, I wonder what that tastes like. Or a clam or an oyster. But, yeah, like, I wonder about that because on the one hand, was it just like a bunch of brave or stupid people that were just like, oh, fuck it, I'll do it? <laughs> or was it like... It came through in a dream, like a spirit or something guided people. Because a lot of stories, like where corn came from, have to do with like a spirit coming down and giving it as a gift. And I don't discount that. So I wonder about that a lot, about how people learn stuff. Like, where did this come from? I know one tribe, and of course I can't remember their name, um, but one Indian American tribe, um, their story of where the flute came from was from a woodpecker. A woodpecker taught somebody the flute. Hmm. Interesting. And, oh, because it makes holes in the trees. Yeah, it was like making holes in the trees. And like, like a flute. Even if you try to look at it from our kind of like, I don't know, looking for the scientific, like how could this be really true kind of way. I mean, just imagine like a woodpecker tapping into a hollowed out stick There's and making one. those holes. And then the wind blows. Yeah. And like he's like... Yeah. And it's like, whoa, wow. Yeah. I mean, there's one right behind you. There's a snag with a what I'm some sort of hole that's been constructed in it. Yeah. Totally forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you made me go look at woodpecker holes. Um, so he calls them. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Teresa. You better do some talking. You derailed my train. You got to um, get something on them tracks. Can I change the subject or should I stick fairly I close? Know. Well, I'll say one of the things that I just started collecting today, mm. even though I had some from before, like about, I don't know, two weeks ago, are acorns. And um, that's because, especially because uh, Gumby started teaching this group of kids, which he'll talk about in just a little bit, I'm sure. Um, and he said that one of the exercises or one of the like activities he was going to have the kids do was to boil acorns to learn about the tannic acid and its uses, but also maybe to help um, process the acorns so that we can eat them. So, yeah. Yeah. So we've had a pretty skillful week. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I think we've been working on more skills this week. Yeah. And, and it's been really satisfying. We've enjoyed, like, just the crazy crap, like collecting pine from pine trees, which takes some time, you know. And, like, I think one of the things I would say I enjoy about it is things that I didn't even see. They were so unimportant to me that I did not even notice they were there. Mm, the pine have now become gold mines. Yeah. And that just makes my life feel richer. Suddenly, like, I found more, like, holy shit, gold's valuable, and I happen to, like, know this place where all the gold's at. <laughs> like, that's the way I feel this week. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So now I totally lost where I was going to go with that. But 
Well, that's all right. We can move forward in our, yeah. our timeline. Yeah. Um, another important part that happened this week was uh, I got a gig teaching this group of kids. Ooh, good segue. And uh, that was just yesterday. And, man, like how lucky am I to get to do the stuff I want to be working on anyway? Because, like, you know, I got the offer by um, one of the parents to um, – she was going to pay me to work with these kids. And so I'm thinking, what can I teach the kids? What's a good like program or something? Like, what would I want to share with these kids? And then I realized I've got this awesome list of skills I want to work on already this winter, <laughs> like collecting rabbit shit and turning it into glue. <laughs> and I'm like, this is perfect. I can get paid to share and prepare and work on the skills I was already going to do and just share it with kids. And we met them uh, yesterday and all these kids are so cool. They're like really good company. Um, so, I mean, sometimes you get a kid, you're like, man, it's a good thing they're paying me to be around this motherfucker. <laughs> but I would not say that about these kids at all. We had such a good time yesterday. Oh, yeah. There was one in particular that I'll remember her excitement because I feel the same way. She said, oh, now that we've picked out this site in the woods... That's going to be their camp, their meeting place. She's like, oh, I'm so excited. I want to, like, get a bench down here that I made. She, like, co- um, constructed a bench out of just some wood that was laying around extra around the house. And, I mean, she's under 15, right? She's fairly, fairly young. And it just to hear We're talking her. talking about the youngest one, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really good to hear the excitement that, you know, I might not be great at this skill. I might not understand what you're doing right now, but I have enthusiasm. Mm. And that's really what you were teaching them actually is the the bigger lesson, which is attitude. Yeah. I have them go and sit in the woods for uh, five minutes, like kind of a meditation without making a big thing about it, but to kind of work on their minds for five minutes, just kind of follow their breath and see what's, you know, what's going on in their head. And I call them back and then we work on a skill and I've only got them for two hours once a week. Um, and yeah, it was a good first day. Like I figured the first thing that you probably want to learn about, like really, you know, in my own experience, just based on my own experience is bugs, no matter how good of a shelter I built, or if it's the wrong season, like summer bug season, that's a struggle. That's something I want to know about. It's like, are there ways to keep bugs off? And if I do get bug bites, how can I treat them and make them feel better? Because when you're stuck in the woods and you're getting eaten up by bugs, which has happened to me so many times, that is a level of hell. <laughs> that will wear you down. Yeah, your attitude goes right out the window with that. So I had them make smudge sticks to practice, like, relating to the plants in a respectful way. And the smudge, you know, get to know the cedar. Um and we threw some cedar branches on the, the fire. You know, the next thing I did after they made smudge sticks was a fire challenge. And uh, they did really good. They lit up a fire with one match between the whole group um, and lit that up. And then we burned some cedar branches and made some smoke. And I talked about how to take kind of a bath if you can't find water, which is kind of our situation right <laughs> exactly. now. Exactly. So the cedar kills bacteria. It masks your scent if you're hunting. It makes you smell better because you smell like cedar. It helps fight insects. Insects don't like the smell of cedar. And, um, yeah, because it kills bacteria. It's just kind of like taking a smoke bath. Mm-hmm. It's not as good as water, but it's a good. It's better than nothing. Yeah. So, yeah, it was cool to be able to show them that the first day. And uh, their homework was to collect a bunch of acorns. We're going to get into tannic acids 
which is really good for uh, if you get diarrhea. It tightens up stuff and dries out stuff. So if you drink a light tea of tannic acid, you know, from boiling acorns, um, this would be like if you boil them several times to make them edible, you got to boil the water, dump it out. But the strongest boil, the first dump, which is the strongest, that's a skin wash. You can put that on your skin for uh, anything itchy like bug bites, stuff like that, poison ivy. And with the last boiling that you dump out, which could be three, four, five boilings, whatever you need. We'll find out. But it's the weakest tea, and that's good for if you need to drink it and you got a stomach problem. you got diarrhea, helps stop it. We talked about that in patches. Um, and if you got a stomach ache, it could soothe it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a really fun first day. Yeah. Um, I'm excited, and it's always good to have a gig, too. Um, yeah, our opportunities for making money have been uh, pretty shy lately. Yeah. <laughs> no more don't, summer camps the way we do it. Don't have much of a need for pet sitting or um, house sitting if people aren't going anywhere. But I um, I did want to also share my brief stint this past week as a Taco Bell employee. <laughs> I'm not sure... I'd like to ask Gumby now, but I'm putting him on the spot, and he just started eating a cheese and cracker. But Please, let me talk. Yeah. Can uh, I get a word in for you? Yes. one word? Yes. Uh, sometimes, sometimes he decides, like, maybe it would be better to park instead of go through the drive-thru, which, I mean, a lot of times I can say, like, I'm, I just feel pretty lazy. I don't want to go in. But I didn't feel that way the other night, so... Um, this particular Taco Bell in Durham sometimes doesn't even have the dine-in, go-into-the-lobby-to-order option available. They just lock the doors. And the other night, I could see why. Uh, so, like many places in the United States right now, there's now hiring signs and apply today and we need help. Uh, and in the Taco Bell at, I don't know, about 7.30, 8 o'clock at night on a, I'm not sure what that was. Sunday or Wednesday or something. One of those days before Thursday. Ended with a Y. Yeah. There were three employees working, making the food, three employees total, uh, you know, doing the drive through. And then nobody was at the front counter to take the orders. But occasionally after there would be a buildup of people just standing there waiting, one of the other customers would say like, oh, you got to do it on this um, kiosk, like a touch screen that looks like a big smartphone screen. You have to order your own food. And sure enough, there would be an employee come out, you know, after a while and say, oh yeah, everybody has to order on the screen there. The The registers are closed. I mean, unless you are paying in cash and then they have to come up there anyway to take the cash from you. So it's kind of dumb. But I started wondering because we've seen so many different takes on why there are places that are hiring and it doesn't seem like anybody wants to work. And I'm wondering if it's not part, at least in some part, maybe in a big way, the companies not wanting to hire anybody. They just have like, oh, we're, we're trying to hire, but they're pushing more and more that the customers do the work. Yeah. Another thing that occurred to me when Teresa's describing her Taco Bell uh, experience there. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't get to the part about that, but go ahead. Well, go ahead and get to that part. Mm. So as I was waiting for my food after I put my own order in, there's like three or four people that came in after me, and uh, they didn't know how to use the touchscreen. Different ages, you know, different situations, but it's really complicated if you're not used to figuring things out. Like if 
you know, my mom, for example, she had to figure out how to use a desktop computer after only using a laptop because it looked different. Same with this kiosk thing. It, it looks different. So you might roll your eyes and say, oh, only boomers, like only old people would have a problem with that. But I was overwhelmed at first. I just had to think about like, okay, there's probably going to be something on this touchscreen that I'll figure out. And I did. So I watched and helped some other people as I was waiting for my food. And this nurse that had been waiting for her food a lot longer than I had been there, she finally says, if anybody, you know, wants my food, I have to get back to work. And she leaves in a huff. So when her order came up, I just kind of took the bag and like moved it to the side. And uh, sure enough, there was like this woman that came in, young woman um, with her son, I think, and she needed help with the screen. So it was like I was a <laughs> Taco Bell trainer, like an employee for the night, waiting for my damn food that I had to order mm-hmm. and pay for. And so I, I ended up giving the bag of food that the nurse left to the to the mother. Um, I noticed when I was helping her that she was only ordering for her son. And so I told her, like, yeah, this woman said that, you know, anybody could have her order and I was going to take it unless you want it. And the quickness in that woman's voice when she said, I want it. <laughs> she was hungry and she didn't have enough money for both her and her son. So when opportunity knocks, you better answer that door. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you told me about that, one, another thing you were talking about when you told me was how cranky and stressed out the few employees working there oh, were. Yeah. They were just like, like done, you know, they acted like they were just done with it and ticked off. And I think what if we're in like a positive feedback loop, like a positive feedback is something that, uh, one side feeds the other side feeds the other, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and what if part of that positive feedback loop is because there are less people who want to work because the, of the initial, I don't know, stimulus, fear of COVID, all the reasons that cause people not to want to go to work, mm-hmm. that now the people that are left are so stressed out that they don't want the jobs. They're looking at their pay, and they're like, man, it ain't worth it anymore. I'm supposed to, like, deal with, like, we don't have enough people cooking the food. I got to close the dining room, and people are pissed about that. The, the drive through is backed up. I don't want to do this crap. Yeah, I mean, for somebody like me, I suppose, I don't even actually know because um, I'm not super looking for a fast food job, but I was just wondering. <laughs> You're kind of looking for a fast food job? No, I'm not looking at all. Uh, but I thought, like, <laughs> as an experiment, I might. But, yeah, I was thinking if I did get hired there, how long could I last? I mean, just in that environment of people just just being rude, people that are possibly going to get me severely sick or at least somewhat sick. And I mean, it's just, I don't think it's worth it for the employees to work there, but I also feel like that was by design from the company that they work for trying to save money. I just, yeah, I think it is a a bigger fucked up situation than just, oh, people are lazy and they're just getting their stimulus checks. I think there's more to it than that. Yeah, there is more to it because they made money by exploiting the workers who would show up. Yeah. So the strategy has drastically changed if now they've got a financially beneficial plan that involves driving people off. Mm -hmm. So I've heard some theories, but yeah, I don't understand it enough. I don't know what the hell is going to happen, but I know all this stuff, like the stuff that's happening is, uh, bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. And I've been reading, can I share this from my book? Go for it. Mm -hmm. So I've been reading the ox herder and the good shepherd by Addison Hodges Hart. 
and I'm not even halfway through. That's how slow of a reader I am. But I liked this passage um, and the scenarios that we've been describing kind of, I don't know, they are all kind of reminding me of this, so I thought I'd read it. It says, The ancient Chinese sage Mencius, 4th century B.C., Mencius? I don't know. Speaks along similar lines about what each man and woman has lost. In his famous parable about the deforestation of Ox Mountain, again the ox because it's the ox herder and the good shepherd set of pictures, which describes a kind of fall scenario, he says, there was a time when the trees were luxuriant on Ox Mountain. But, he tells us, people have so denuded the mountain of its trees in order to build a metropolis that the mountain is now quite bald and without any vestige of its old beauty. I think bald is beautiful. Aww. You were beautiful when you were bald. Aww. People, seeing only its baldness, tend to think that it never had any trees, he continues. Mencius then asks the incisive questions that lead up to his chief point. But can this possibly be the nature of a mountain? And can what is in man be completely lacking in decency and kindness? One's letting go of his true heart is like the case of the tree and the axes. Mencius goes on to say that if men continue to hack down every new sprout of a tree trying to grow again on Ox Mountain, eventually the normally regenerative powers of air and night will lack the ability to restore the mountain's original beauty. In like manner, human beings can so ruin their true nature with its original inclinations to goodness that it will eventually wither away. And I just thought that was interesting. It's like a muscle. Like we have to exercise our humanity, being kind to each other, being understanding with each other. Otherwise, who knows? Who knows if we'd ever learn that again? It might just completely go away and be gone from the experience of humanity. Yeah, two things struck me, and one of them was what you just said, the exercising humanity, that it's like something that is not just a given. Like, of course I'm human, like a classification. Like, I was born in this box. You can't take me out of the box. The box is mine. Like, you got to earn your place in that box to call yourself a human. Hmm. And uh, the other thing was when he mentioned um, the regenerative powers of the night. Mm. I thought that was really cool. Um, he just slides that in. Like when you read that, you just like go through it so quick. He doesn't expand on that or whatever. But he talks about the regenerative powers of something else and the night. But I always remember the night because that's such a like – I don't necessarily think of the night as regenerative. I guess I've, regenerative. I think of it as like regenerative. Mm-hmm. I guess I just think of it as kind of quiet. Um, but to think that things are like, yeah, I do regenerate at night. You go to sleep. You know, you go in a dream world. Like, this is a time, like, it's kind of like plugging in the, the charger, you know? The other thing was the air. Oh, yeah, air and night. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, because when it was really hot when we came back, and then this fall weather came crashing in, it was such a relief. Like, the air had to change and, and I don't know, regenerate me, even though I kind of felt, like, under the weather. <laughs> Yeah. Well, since you're uh, talking about what you're reading, um, I started this book this week called The Coddling of the American Mind. Oh, yeah. How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. And it's by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan, how would you say that last name? I think it's pronounced hate. Hate? H-A-I-D like dog, T like Teresa. And I'm not quite halfway through this book, and it is so good. It's talking about like um, 
You know, this kind of social justice movement that they say started off in the 2013s, 2014s, like right before that, you know, there was stuff happening, but it really picked up drastically right then. Um, I guess that was like a couple years right before Trump. Mm -hmm. And it's just fascinating talking about the iGen or Generation Z that followed the millennials and the differences, how they grew up and what it's doing to them. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the cases they're talking about that have happened on universities like Evergreen College in Washington, um, just really interesting stuff. And I wanted to read a couple passages from uh, this book. This first one I wanted to share just because it's a story that I had not heard and I think probably doesn't get told enough. And it's a really beautiful story about, I guess, what else can happen. Um all right, so here's what they have written on page 75 of the book. Yet appeals to common humanity still work just as well today as when Dr. King made them. On September 16, 2017, on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., a group of Trump supporters organized a rally they called the Mother of All Rallies Patriot Unification Gathering. Uh-uh. Counter-protesters... Um, from Black Lives Matter, BLM showed up and shouted at the Trump supporters. The Trump supporters shouted back. Someone on stage told the Trump supporters to pay no attention to the counter-protesters. They don't exist, he said. Hawk Newsom, the leader of the BLM, BLM counter-protesters, later said that he expected to, quote, stand there with his fist in the air in a very militant way and to exchange insults, end quote. Tensions mounted and onlookers recorded video of the potentially explosive situation. Then the Trump rally organizer, who goes by the name Tommy Gunn, took the stage. And he said, It's about freedom of speech! And in an unexpected move, he invited Newsom and other BLM supporters onto the stage. We're going to give you two minutes of our platform to put your message out, Gunn told Newsom. Now whether they disagree or agree with your message is irrelevant. It's the fact that you have the right to have the message. Newsom took the stage. I am an American, he began, and the crowd cheered. And the beauty of America is that when you see something broke in your country, you can mobilize to fix it. But then, as he spoke about a black man being killed by police, the crowd began to turn on him. They booed. Shut up! That was a criminal, a woman shouted. Newsom explained, we are not anti-cop. Yes, you are, people shouted. We're anti-bad cop, Newsom insisted. He still seemed to be losing them. We don't want handouts, he told the crowd. We don't want anything that is yours. We want our God-given right to freedom, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now they were coming back around. People cheered. Someone in the crowd shouted, All lives matter, which is usually intended as a rebuke to those who say that black lives matter. But Newsom responded in the tradition of Polly Murray by drawing a larger circle around everyone in the crowd. You're right, my brother, you're right. You are so right. All lives matter, right? But when a black life is lost, we get no justice. That is why we say black lives matter. If we really want to make America great, we do it together. The crowd cheered and chanted, USA, USA. In an instant, the two groups were no longer us and them. Their ideological differences remained, but within that larger circle around them, their enmity melted away. And at least for a short while, they interacted as fellow human beings and fellow Americans. It kind of restored my faith, Newsom said when interviewed afterward. Two sides that never listened to each other actually made progress today. Exactly. 
One of the leaders of Bikers for Trump came up to Newsom afterward and shook his hand. The two men talked and then posed for a photo together with Newsom holding the other man's young son cradled in his arm. And I just love that passage because, I mean, it just is such a good reminder that, like, at any point, we can transcend the dichotomy. We can transcend, like, the viewpoint we get stuck in and, like, kind of come up for air, get a broader perspective, that bigger circle he talks about. Reminds me of Fred Hampton's um, actions in the Black Panthers. Yeah. You got any uh, other thoughts or anything about what I just read while I'm looking for my other? Well, I really liked that because I had not heard of it. And why would anyone report on that? I'm, I wonder what the uh, source was because I know he's got a lot of, or the authors have a lot of sources in this book. But um, yeah, they don't want us to know that we can actually get together and achieve something together. They want to keep us separated. Mm-hmm. And my second part of this book that I wanted to share a little excerpt here was, uh, this is talking about iGen. And uh, iGen is another name for Generation Z. These are kids that grew up with social media. And social media has had a huge impact on us all. Some of you may not have stopped to kind of tally up and realize, like, wow, how's my life different than before social media? Kids that are learning to socialize, that are learning what it's like to be in a community, what it's like to have friends, what it means to communicate with each other, are growing up with social media between them. And it's had a huge impact. And they're discussing, like, okay, these kids are now around 2002. 13, 2014, getting into college. They're bringing an entirely different life experience, an entirely different philosophy. Um, in another part of the book, he has this beautiful image of like, kids are being raised to think they're candles now. They're fragile. And so for a candle, every gust of wind is dangerous. It could blow you out. Instead, what they need to be taught is that we are fires, that we are anti-fragile, that when things challenge us, make us exercise, push us, that that actually can make us stronger, and most of the time it does. And for a fire, when the winds come, the winds feed the fire. Mm-hmm. I love that image. Yeah. And so back to Facebook, you know, this whole generation growing up with social media and Facebook was kind of the uh, uh, the ambassador, the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, It says this, but Facebook and other social media platforms didn't really draw many middle school students until after the iPhone was introduced in 2007 and was widely adopted over the next few years. It's best, then, to think about the entire period from 2007 to roughly 2012 as a brief span in which the social life of the average American teen changed substantially. Social media platforms proliferated, and adolescents began using Twitter, founded in 2006, Tumblr, 2007, Instagram, 2010, Snapchat, 2011, and a variety of others. Over time, these companies became ever more skilled at grabbing and holding eyeballs, as they say in the industry. Social media grew more and more addictive. In a chilling 2017 interview, Sean Parker, the first president of Facebook, explained those early years like this. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. 
and that's going to get you to contribute more content, and that's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. God damn it. Earlier in the interview, he said, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. And I found that powerful. Um, I wanted to share that because, I mean, that came from the president of Facebook in the early years. That's what Facebook is. We tend to forget what it is, what it's meant for, what it is in fact doing, where it came from, and why. Um, it's not just a platform that's yours. You're, you know, it's, it's always been a tool for exactly what he said, exploiting our attention. Yeah, I remember back when I was in college. This would have been my last year in college, 2005. And a friend of mine from one of my classes was like, oh, you got to get on Facebook. It's like all the rage. And she was selling it to me. And I'm like, it sounds awful. A girlfriend got me into it. It was like Eve offering Adam the (laughs) apple. And I don't even remember. I don't think I actually signed up for it when she did. Because at first, if you're not – if you – um didn't know this. At first, Facebook was only available to certain college or university campuses. And I, I don't know what the reasoning was behind that, if they had to like use their own server power or whatever. But Server power! Server power! Um, like for the computer servers and stuff. But NC State, where I went, um, they were offering it to students who wanted to sign up. And I just thought, how very shallow. And then when I wanted to do my yoga business, speaking of shallow, um, I started interacting more on Facebook, having a a Facebook page for my yoga business. And um, yeah, it just, I don't know. I still use it to communicate with people, but it's, um, it's definitely something that I don't really look forward to interacting with. Well, Teresa started this thing that I think we mentioned briefly in the last podcast where she's trying to like, if I put in an hour working on a skill with my hands, whether it's gardening or something, then I get an hour online. I have to buy my time online as sort of a, uh, a device, a technique to uh, reduce her time online without going cold turkey and increase her time working on skills. And it's had this really neat effect, another lesson this week of like how interconnected everything is because I think so often, and my mom is a huge teacher of this too because she is convinced that her decisions only affect her life. And um, God, we've had this argument so many times. But I tell her like, you know, like especially when you have kids, when you're like you can't untie yourself to people. Your actions, your decisions affect a broader ripple. And so, Teresa, by doing this exercise, I found that my habit was to, when she turned on the hotspot, I'd be like, all right, the hotspot's on, so I might as well like take advantage of it, and then I'd get online and waste time. And because she changed her habit, my habit that was related to her habit also adjusted almost by like effortlessly. And so I rarely turn on the hotspot, so we're online a lot less, and I'm working on skills more, and it's been, like, a really helpful thing to improve my habits. Yeah. And I just thought that was so cool that, like, Teresa decided to make a change to, like, try to better her situation and effortlessly, accidentally, I'm finding benefit from that. And that was just, like, kind of a powerful, like, uh, I don't know, lesson. Yeah, I realized that uh, if I wanted to make this world a better place, I had to take a look at myself. 
and, and make, make a, a change. change. <laughs> I, think, I think the prophet Michael Jackson. That. <laughs> oh, we had a Michael camp. <laughs> oh, now I got to talk about Hunch. We had a camper in a camp one summer that uh, she would quote Michael Jackson as if she was quoting the Bible. <laughs> and it was the most adorable freaking thing. Like she just thought Michael Jackson said anything wise a person ever said. And this came from somewhere in the antiquities of time. For her, it did. <laughs> yeah. And it was very adorable. And uh, yes, I was very surprised as well at the outcome because at first I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I think I'm just going to end up not doing skills and not being on the internet. But then I started helping Gumby with his skills. And I also (laughs) was reading in my book and did a little tiny bit of crochet, um, worked in my garden, and of course started collecting things for the the acorn project. But uh, yeah, I don't miss it. I don't see... I go on there and I get distracted by all the news stories and then trying to look into it further and see if I can find some sort of truth that just I'm never going to find. It's going down rabbit hole after rabbit hole, pulling a thread. I mean, it's fun and interesting, but it gets to be uh, an obsession with me. And I'd much rather live in this reality, the one that I'm looking at all around us right now. Yeah, one of the things that occurred me about occurred to me about skills recently is we've been talking about balancing celebration with discipline, um, and we've talked about this before, like in podcasts. But uh, <clears throat> discipline being like, okay, I don't agree with what this corporation is doing. I know by using this product, this corporation, this technology, I am directly empowering and feeding something I do not agree with that I actually am. Um, very much opposed to. So the discipline is cutting the ties, saying, all right, you know, I'll take the hit. I'll make the sacrifice. I do have become addicted to that thing or I enjoy it and I would otherwise get it, but I don't support what it takes to get it to me. So that's the discipline. Now, the other side of that coin is celebration. What if society collapses next year? Aren't you going to spend the rest of your life romantically reminiscing about that favorite beer you used to have, (laughs) that favorite restaurant you went to? Like, won't you feel like a damn fool if you found something you really liked that was like, you know, one of those treats, it's not just like, I'm eating crap. It's like, oh my God. Mm, Chorizo nachos from the food truck. Like like you see God when you eat it. It's it's proof that God still loves human beings, as Mm. Benjamin Franklin, I think, said about beer. Um, but celebrating, like that's kind of the, the old fashioned hobo philosophy. If you get money, <laughs> you buy drinks for all your friends, you blow it. You don't need the money. It's a celebration. So <clears throat> I struggle with those two things because mm. often, you know, like choices come down to when you think of it in those terms, one or the other, it's not both. And I realized that working on skills is one of the very few things, if not the only thing I know that transcends both. Mm. By working on the skill, I'm becoming more independent. I need less from the corporations and the entities that I don't want to support. And yet those skills are so engaging, so fun, like picking up rabbit poop, like (laughs) sitting around a fire, experimenting, you know, just seeing what works and what doesn't work, pounding on a nail that's glowing hot red. Um, These things are really satisfying in a really primal kind of way. And so it's both celebration and discipline, and I love that about the skills we've been working on. Mm-hmm. I concur. All right. Well concurred. Well concurred. Well concurred. And uh, one of the things we've been watching this week is catching up on our Walking Dead. Um, 
That's kind of like my online time. And boy, what a waste. Yeah. What do you think about The Walking Dead now, Teresa? Uh, Got to hold anything back. I'm glad glad I got a free trial um, so we can watch it and I don't have to pay for that. They owe you money. Oh, my God. Yes. It is. I mean, it's just comically bad. And I think the only reason why I watch it, I can't speak for Gumby, but... The only reason I watch it is just a morbid curiosity of how are they going to end this? Yeah, they fucking hooked me. I'm like just barely interested enough to want to see where it goes. Yeah. But if I had come in like in the last couple of seasons, I'd have been like, this show is shit. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it was seasons four and five I thought were the best when they like (laughs) had to leave the prison and got separated. Yeah. Wound up in Terminus. And then, like, after that, when they're headed up to Alexandria, they were so raw, and, like, I love those seasons. But after that, man, they hit Alexandria, and now it's, like, this jumping forward in time, and, like, you know, every scene with Carol, she's got, like, uh, like a black, um, what would you say, like, questioning, possibly queer person over here. Yeah, something. Next to a— Non-binary. Next to a female lesbian. Like a female lesbian. They, I know you have to do that nowadays. <laughs> I, I have to specify. Yes. Right. Yep. And it's just so forced. It's not like, you know, like when Aaron was introduced at Alexandria, gay guy, it felt like, yeah, that makes sense. There'd probably be a gay guy there. But now it's like every scene has got to have like these people. And I'm not saying it's impossible that these that would be these, those people. I'm not saying it would be impossible that you wind up with like, you know, this, uh, black queer person and this uh, female lesbian person, Mm -hmm. you know, just randomly. I'm saying I know that it is catering to the political uh, atmosphere now, Mm -hmm. and that feels forced and phony to me. (laughs) It's just like that was not what it was, and then suddenly it's like they're so, like, forcing these characters. Yeah. And then there's, like, all the characters have gotten so fucking stale, I guess, because we wouldn't want them offensive. Well, right. God forbid somebody talks with a genuine a- a southern accent. Yeah, and but nobody dies. Nobody dies. That's another thing. You know, that used to be one of the cool things about the show early on. <laughs> Some main character would just be like, whoa, they just got eaten by a zombie. Bam, didn't, didn't, didn't see that Didn't see that happening. And now it's like, you know, if that character has been on there for more six or more than like six or seven episodes, they disappeared. They fell down a pit into a bunch of hungry zombies. You're like, eh, they're all right. No, my. They're going to crawl out of that cavern, even though they're deaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to go. That's where I was going to go. And I will say this. Like, I love me some people who are hearing impaired. But I got to tell you, I, I lived with a woman who was hearing impaired, and I we just watched one of the episodes of The Walking Dead where this woman who has been deaf her whole life, uh, she's somehow survived this far long in the zombie apocalypse, what, like 15 years or something? <laughs> she's survived um, not being able to hear, and I have to tell you, having lived with someone who is deaf, it's not that they don't make any noise. So here she is, they're showing this scene where she's in this house and she's trying to like move down the hallway and not like, uh, scare up these creatures that aren't even zombies. They're like humans that have lost their minds and become cannibals. And I'm, all you hear is silence and I get it. They're trying to get you to feel like she, like she can't hear anything and neither can you. I get the point. But what it also does is it kind of makes you feel like she's not making any noise. And you know she's bumping into shit and like squeaking on the floorboards and because <laughs> she can't hear. 
And it's not that deaf people don't make noise. I just wanted to say that in case you never thought about it. I can only think of three groups of people that would, like, be wiped off the face of the earth by a zombie apocalypse quicker than deaf people. Okay. Number three would be blind people. <laughs> if you not, can see the zombie coming. This is not me coming, laughing at blind people. I just didn't, re- <laughs> I didn't realize you were going to get there. <laughs> if you can see the zombie coming... <laughs> You have got a slim chance of escaping a few times. If you can't even see the fucking zombie, you're dead. You're done. You're just done. You're done. Even the guy in the wheelchair, I'd put him ahead of all these groups because he's got wheels. Yeah. That's what everybody else is looking for is wheels to get away from the zombies. The second group of people, Italians. Oh. And if you've been hanging out with one for four years like I have, (laughs) enough said. The first group of people. <laughs> Screw you. Oh, man. The first group of people? Saggers. <laughs> you can't pull up your pants. Just fucking lay down and let them eat you. That's, you're done. <laughs> your destiny has been fulfilled. God help you if you're a blind Italian with sagging pants. Jesus Christ. You want to make friends with that guy if you start even getting a hint the zombie apocalypse is about to break out. For the same reason, like... You don't have to be the fastest person to outrun a bear. <laughs> it's going to save your life. That's, str- that's strategic. Uh, <laughs> is that why you're hanging out with me? No. <laughs> no, it is not. Um, is this is thing done. It might be. And another thing I was thinking, we're getting to the end of our list of uh, what we wanted to talk about for our week, um, the such as it is. And... I've been thinking about how much this is the age of demagogues. I've been like, Teresa's been bringing up a lot of these questions too, but. I can't remember them, so Gumby writes them down. We'll listen to some of our old podcasts (laughs) and realize like, wow, that sounds so liberal. That almost sounds like social justice warrior stuff. And um, we'll think like, what are the things that we're still saying after these years that we've been like kind of documenting our van life uh, lifestyle And what are the things that have changed? And that's been really interesting. And one of the things I'm trying to, like, look out for and be aware of is demagogues, people that appeal to your emotions, Hmm. where they stir you up so much that your emotions override your mind. You're not thinking critically anymore. You don't want to hear the other point of view. You don't want more knowledge. You want less knowledge because the emotion is so righteous. I've been considering that, and you see them all over the place. And I think this is the age of demagogues. Mm. I think this is like their moment. Everybody's sucked up in a group that is primarily emotion-based, where they don't really want to reason anymore. Argue with, or don't argue, debate, talk to anybody. Start looking for this. Ask yourself, is this exchange we're having? And you got to be honest, because you might be doing the same damn thing. And that takes a lot of honesty to see. Are you after truth or are you trying to win an argument? Mm-hmm. You'll notice a very different exchange happening, and you'll notice that the pursuit of truth is so often absent. Everybody's trying to promote an agenda and win an argument. You can just see it in the way people talk, and you'll catch yourself doing it too, which is the most important thing you can do is catching yourself doing it. Because yeah. if other people do it, notice it. If you do it, you got a shot at changing that shit. Yep. I agree. Remember that day when you asked me that? Is it, Are you just 
are you arguing to win or are you arguing to find the truth? And I was like, I am arguing to find the truth, Mm -hmm. to come to the truth. But I got to be honest, I think I might have actually been arguing just to win the argument. Yeah, and it's easy that easier to see it in somebody else, man. It's it's hard to like go looking for that in yourself because you do you do not want to see that. It feels so good to think you're right, and uh, you know that brings me to this. It just occurred to me one day. I made a Facebook post out of it, but in big capital letters and red font. Um, what if you're wrong? I think that is such a powerful statement. I actually made that like my uh, lock screen on my iPad that we're using right now. <laughs> so every time I open up my iPad, it's like, what if you're wrong? <laughs> or if somebody steals the iPad. Yeah. They might be stealing it and trying to like see if they can get the code. And what if you're wrong? But it's a powerful statement. It reminds me of like the Buddha's teachings of you have to acknowledge your own abysmal ignorance of this, this universe. You don't know anything. And then you're completely open. All those things you think you know, you don't know them. All they are are blocking you. They're impediments. Mm. To completely embrace your own ignorance is just wide open to the universe. Then it can finally touch you and come flooding in and remind you that you were never disconnected. It was those things you thought you knew that separated you from what you really are. Socrates said the same thing. Like, I'm not trying to get you to buy my philosophy or anything. I'm trying to question you. What I think is none of us know anything, and I want you to understand that you, what you think you're arguing for, you're actually not. You don't know anything either. If I know anything that has gives me an advantage over another human being, it's only that I know I don't know. Um, and I just love that. I think that is a powerful thing to remind myself of, to like allow myself to change, to reconsider, to reboot. And um, one more person I want to kind of nod to in that vein is Tom L. Pell in his book of, I think it was Roadmap to Reality. But he brought up, like, ask yourself, like, consider what if everything you think is wrong? Wow, what a powerful thing. What if, Like, imagine, what if, in fact, whatever your cherished belief is, like, oh, no, I'd fight for that. I'd die for that. What if, it, in reality, it's exactly the opposite? Just consider and see where that takes you. It's a whole new realm. I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to change your view. It might strengthen your view in a more intelligent way, but it opens your mind. Um, just a powerful thing. Yeah, and from the book that Gumby's reading, I re- oh, damn this plate. I remember uh, this. I remembered this one quote that uh, luckily I was able to find from the coddling of the American mind um, that Gumby told you about earlier. So this was a quote from. This guy named Van Jones, who is some guy that was President Obama's green jobs advisor, a Ooh. progressive activist. Yeah, but he actually, um, and the author agrees with me, uh, it said that there was this uh, kind of discussion that uh, Mr. Jones was having at the University of Chicago, and he gave some of the best advice for college students that uh, the authors had ever heard. And this is what Mr. Jones, Mr. Van Jones said to the college students. He said, I don't want you to be safe ideologically. I don't want you to be safe emotionally. I want you to be strong. That's different. I'm not going to pave the jungle for you. Put on some boots and learn how to deal with adversity. I'm not going to take all the weights out of the gym. That's the whole point of the gym. This is the gym. 
And I really liked that because it just made me think about how I always, I always say like life is about the experience. And I know I'm not the only one that says that, but even when my dad was alive, my mom was saying, as my dad was coming down this, uh, rope we were repelling for the first time. My mom's like, oh, Michael, you might want to, I said, let him have his own experience. And his own experience ended up being him like coming down and like crashing his head into the rock. Um, so yeah, that might've been a sign of things to come. He had a beautiful death. Oh no. But that was before he, that I'm not laughing. That was before he died. Well before he died. But, um, yeah, I was just thinking about his own experience. Don't try to tell him what you think is the best and don't let other people try to tell you what they think might be the best. Like really you need to live your life and stop surrounding yourself with only people that agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. It's that candle and fire thing. Yeah. But yeah, that is a great quote. Um, yeah. And in that vein, I was also like kind of thinking about, um, how, you know, I was thinking about, we listened to this podcast called Unsafe Space, and one of the many um, programs or episodes or series that they put out, they put out a few like that have different names, like Dangerous Thoughts, stuff mm-hmm. like that, but they do a book club, and they alternate between fiction and nonfiction. And I don't know, as I'm reading and I'm thinking about all the different points of view that ta- describe a completely different reality based on completely different values with completely different good guys and bad guys, and this is in the nonfiction section, I'm realizing that there's no such thing as nonfiction. It's all hmm. fiction. And to think that there's fiction versus nonfiction is madness. That will drive you crazy because eventually there's some part of your mind that's going to have to struggle with the un uh, inconvenient truth <laughs> that the nonfiction section is full, full, full of paradoxical views, viewpoints that cannot describe the same reality. There are viewpoints describing all kinds of different realities. And that's a damn hard thing to like come to terms with, because if that's true, it's all fiction. And that's one of the things I was thinking about is like, you know, it's not looking for reality. The truth is not in nonfiction versus fiction. The truth is in the fiction. It's all fiction. So choose your fiction. Just because it's fiction doesn't mean you don't give a shit and that you are careless with it. You're stuck in that fiction. That (laughs) fiction matters. It's your life. So choose your fiction well, but know it's fiction. And that just, uh, yeah, thinking about that, we've talked about like native stories, how they record history. You know, we, we talk about, um, people say, you know, history doesn't include the native history, but then you'd think of the problems of including that because what's the date, what's the factual events, you know, what, what are the facts in this history that didn't include the colonizers who were recording history? Mm-hmm. It's not a hard thing to put. I mean, it's not an easy thing to put together. And why? It's not because the people were stupid. It's because they had a whole different view of reality. What they kept alive in their oral traditions were what our culture calls myths, mythology, fiction. Oh, of course, a woodpecker didn't come down and teach the guy how to make a flute. That's fiction. 
But I feel like these people in their wisdom realized it's not about facts. You don't settle on facts. There's no such thing. It's all fiction. Me and this other guy just fought in the same battle. Haven't you heard us tell the story? We tell it totally differently. Mm. It's all fiction. It's all story. There's no fact to be found. Show me a fact. Fact check false. (laughs) And that they were remembering the things that served and helped the people. And if they put it in a fictional story, fine. It's all fiction. There's truth in the fiction. Hmm. So, yeah, that's just something. It wasn't a new thought. I've thought about that before, but uh, kind of occurred to me this week as I'm like reading through this stuff and thinking about the different points of view and, you know, like that's that part of the book I read about the Trump supporter and the Black Lives Matter supporter, um, just not hearing anything about that and mm-hmm. how I got sucked into this one fiction. Mm-hmm. Hearing that puts me in a different one, but it, it's also fiction. But there's truth in all of them. Which one helps me? Which one do I choose? Yeah. So. And I, well, I just wanted to jump in there and say I like what you told the kids the other day um, when you were teaching that small group of kids yesterday that, you know, you want to help them see that there is a third option and whatever that third option might be for people, whatever that looks like, whatever that means, I feel like maybe that's the fiction that you choose instead of just letting someone dictate a story to you. Yeah. I told the kids like in the beginning, I I said, I'm going to try to teach you guys stuff that I've never tried to teach kids before because I want you to have a choice. If everybody's telling you you need to go to college and get a job, you know, when I was your age, I didn't want any of it, and I didn't feel like I had a choice. So I want to give you guys a choice. If you want to go to college and you choose to go to college, you can go to college. But if you choose not to, I want you to know how to head into those woods and make a home out of listening to the wind and living among the trees and being out here. And uh, Amen. Yeah, I saw at least one of the kids' eyes like light up like, man, that's what I was wanting to hear. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, Yeah, that was good. So anything else before we close up this uh, season finale of season nine episode? Oh, and we're leaving you with the cliffhanger. Will it ever rain again in We might have COVID. We might be dead before the next season. It happens. What kind of poop will Teresa be collecting next? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got. All right. For our listener write-in, we have Tim from Maine. You remember Tim from Maine? Oh, vaguely. (laughs) That guy. He's got so much to share. The blueberry guy. Yes. Tim from Maine. Yes, I know. I I said that in a Maine accent, but none of those words really translated well. No. You didn't know. That's okay. But he wrote in response to, I believe this is probably in response to Smurf Village. He wrote, oh, I got to do this one in an accent. This is Tim from Maine. I can't just go back to like North Carolina when I'm talking for a guy from Maine now. Amanita. A man-eater. <laughs> I heard and subscribed to the theory that eating raw mushrooms can set mycelium into your body as an aid to help break down your body after death. As such, perhaps it may also not be a good idea to eat raw mushrooms, as they may cause future issues while you are still alive. Ooh. Yeah, that does sound damn unpleasant. I don't eat raw mushrooms. Screw that shit. Ooh, I'm not anymore. <laughs> I like the canker that grows on birch trees, a wonderful mushroom, chaga. I see chaga growing birch trees that have an open wound, like if I rub one with my tractor by accident. A few years later, there are some I have kept track of that grow a chaga on that wound. Not all, but some for sure. 
<laughs> All right, so I can't like, say shore in a main accent. You slipped back into Carolina for a while, but then you went Minnesota, and so I think it balanced out. All right. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. I see Chaga as a sign the birch tree is on its way out. As usual, nice, well-rounded podcast, and that was to Smurf Village. Oh, you did touch also on aliens. I suspect most reported sightings and interactions may actually be from someone or group of folks tripping. <laughs> Paul S., and that's Paul Stamets, I think, reports that fungus can live in outer space, perhaps the actual alien, fungus, traveled here on some clump of ice or space rock from some other planet. Graham Hancock has suggested mushrooms and the like are how we communicated with each other around the world and built geometric structures from these trips as the effects are similar no matter where or who you are. It's one language. This is a lot. Yeah, he was kind of like dropping some bombs on us here. Truth bomb. What do you think about that? Well, um... I do remember us briefly talking about the possibility from Paul Stamets bringing up that he said fungus can grow in space, mm-hmm. and he did him or who's the other guy? Terrence McKenna mm-hmm. talking about that it could be like an alien, possibly sentient, very intelligent life form. Well, I think it was Terrence McKenna. I could be wrong about that. I came in strong and then I like pulled back too much. <laughs> it was one of them, I think Terrence McKenna, that was saying um, if we're – assuming like alien life is more intelligent than our species, uh, why would they come here as something scary like in all the movies that you see? What if they came not even in a like an actual body, but they came through a vision like when you're tripping and they were like, hey, we're from outer space and we just want to say, hey. I can tell they're highly intelligent. Yes, <laughs> it, but they're also way laid back. Yeah. They're laid back. I know the feeling. Yeah. Laid back and just so smart. But yeah, that was like taking the aliens' intelligence and saying that they could actually transmit their message through when you were tripping. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And, uh, you know, the whole thing about, like, eating raw mushrooms and them eating us, like, I remember learning from Paul Stamets that apparently when you step in the forest, the mycelium is already starting to find you. Like it can feel you. It knows you're there. And um, one of the reasons why like dead things start getting eaten by mycelium is because they're still long enough and the mycelium has a chance to reach them. Oh, right. And that still like stayed with me from our research and like kind of creeps me out sometimes. You know, it's like moss grows on a rolling stone. Don't you worry about that fucking moss. (laughs) Mushrooms will eat your ass if you don't move somewhere. Oh. Or moss don't grow on a rolling stone. So in other words, and idle hands are the devil's play thing. You know, uh-huh. all these things about don't stand still. you damn right. That's the best motivation I've ever heard. Um, anything else you want to say to that? No, I just, I really like when people write in. So write in. All right, Teresa, this is the end of our season nine. We could die of COVID. We could die of any number of things. We could die of so many things. Yeah. In a month and a half, which is the break we're taking. Mm. Um, That's six weeks. We'll be back and we'll be doing shots in between. And um, if we're still alive, if our uh, destiny, good Lord, think about how different things could be in a month and a half. Think about some of the things that have happened recently in the world and in our lives, how much of a difference a month and a half can make. This could be your last chance to talk to the world, Teresa. Yeah. Oh, 
All right, go for it. Hey. What do you got? Hey. I'm an alien. I just want to say hey. Damn, that was good. <laughs> Those 40 Keep years you spent on this planet, it, it, it cool. paid off. It Keep all it added. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sherlock said I got Sherlock nothing better something. either. Yeah. Silly. That's probably better than what we had. And so if you have any questions or comments, please contact us at www.escapingsociety.weebly, B as in bunnypoop.com. Um, we have a Facebook page that uh, we just uh, share all kinds of um, uh, poignant, provocative, razor-sharp, um, hilarious, educational, just amazing things um, on Facebook. Found at Escaping Society, as Teresa says, look for the burning rocking chair. We have a YouTube channel that we uh, should add some stuff to soon because we're doing a lot of cool stuff that I think might make good videos. Um, <laughs> ash but, cakes. Just kidding. I don't know yeah, yeah, ash that. cakes. And, uh, yeah, so that's got some stuff to help you with some skills. Um, we could combine the ash cakes and your nail knife making and, like, teach people how to make pies for prison. You combine your own ass cake. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> God damn, you derailed me again. Uh, YouTube. Oh, we have a donate button on our website. So if you are so moved and able, if you would like to give us a donation, we very much appreciate that. If you felt like you've gotten value from our episode, um, helps us along our way. As I said, we're a couple hobos living in a van picking up gigs. So we appreciate those donations. Um, big yellow donate button on our website, which was the escapingsociety.weebly.com. Please give us a review. Five stars if you think we deserve it. It helps get our word out there further. And uh, write us a review. We really appreciate those. I think we are still at the grand total of two. Hmm. So uh, thank you, you two. Um, kiss my ass the rest of you, I guess. <laughs> two people um, in the entire world yeah. bothered to write a review. That's yeah. cool. That's the rest right. of you can uh, like kiss my little mud spot, if no. you know what I mean, earlier in the story. My, my mud puddle. Fart puddle. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> anyway, you see, you should have taken over before I started like getting into this stuff. Um, what else? Nine seasons. Good gravy. Yeah. Why don't we know when to shut up? Because we're stupid. Yeah. Well, on that note, bye. <laughs> oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it, because we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no address.